0: So according to a recent study by the Carlson Institute, um, if you were born in Texas or in California, you are more prone to be proud of where you are from than any other state in the union. And it turns out that this is true of the burger you prefer as well. I have family in Texas, and they have constantly been talking to me about The Wonders of Whataburger. Whataburger is from Texas, and I was there in San Antonio visiting some family, and we had a great taste test. My uncle said, he wasn't with me, but he said, would you please eat Whataburger and give me your honest opinion between Whataburger and In-N-Out Burger? I said, gladly, of course I will. So uh, doing my family duty, I went and had a burger at Whataburger, and uh, let me just save you a trip to Texas. Uh, Hands down. By taste alone, it's in and out like easily, and I told my uncle that, um, but here's the bonus about in and out Have you ever seen any employee wash their hands more than an in and out If you haven't, you watch them. Watch when you order, and when you're waiting for your order, watch how many times those employees wash their hands. It literally makes the experience of your burger better, like just knowing that, doesn't it? Uh, secondly... At no other restaurant that I know of, is there a massive safety pin on the back of the apron of the employees. I don't know why it needs to be that big, but it's awesome. It just makes it taste better. Uh, When I walked into Whataburger, um, I got a really cool 70s logo experience. I got no cool hat, I got no stickers. Um, The whole experience was just better at In-N-Out. Probably my favorite In-N-Out burger moment was I was a college pastor. I had this kid named Ben in my youth group. Now, this kid Ben has matured a lot, but he used to be super opinionated, and, uh, and he would share his opinions openly and willingly with anyone that he was around, and if that person differed from his opinion, he would challenge them to some kind of a duel, and if we lived in the old days, we wouldn't have Ben with us still, because he would have surely died in a duel over one of his faulty opinions in the past. But we don't live in the Old West. We don't live in old, you know, French times where people stab each other. Uh, and on this day, after college group or during college group, I'm trying to herd cats called college students and talk about the Bible and spiritual matters. And this, this college kid, Ben, which you probably recognize right here, uh, he's 6'9". He doesn't look that way because he's hunched over, but he's 6'9", even in that picture. And then this guy with the bad manners right here, that's Marty. And they argued over who could eat more In-N-Out burgers. And I had to table the conversation until after college Bible study. And so after college Bible study, we all went to In-N-Out Burger. And um, after, I I had to clarify this with Ben. Uh, After four um, three-by-threes, or was it three four-by-fours? See, I still didn't get that right. After three four-by-fours, that's four meat patties with four cheese slices in between times three. So after, after the third round of that, they decided to call it a truce. Now, you can see me. This is me right here. Do you see that I can't even look on such wicked gluttony? I was there, and I was present to make sure they didn't kill themselves, but I had to look away because it was so disgusting. Um, now, I joyfully go into In-N-Out still today, but here's, here's the point. This morning. Uh, we're going to joyfully talk about being in and out of debt. That's, Believe it or not, this is where Romans leads us. <laughs> Romans chapter 13, open your Bible to it. Romans 13 leads us to in and out. It's crazy how this works. All right. Um, by the way, hard to say which is my favorite Sundays of the year or month, but it has to be tops is when we get to keep our kiddos in with us. We love having you guys here. Parents, people nearby, this is a great opportunity to show your kids where Romans is and, and help them along. Or maybe kids, you know where Romans is better than adult nearby, so help show them where Romans 13 is. But get there and then pull out your notes because you're going to have some notes to, to fill in and you're going to want to write on those. Last week we talked about the idea that we are responsible. The Bible told us we are responsible to pay our taxes. We are responsible to uh, pay our fines, to pay honor, to pay respect. Today we are told that we are in debt. Now debt is a word that means it's something that you owe uh, or is due. Typically we're talking about money. So that could be a library fine or it could be that you, that you bought a car and you're in debt to the one who owns the car until you pay it off. So it's a car payment kind of a thing. You are in debt whether you realize it or not right now. You're in debt whether you want to think about it right now or not. You're in debt even if you don't realize how specifically you are in debt or how much you are in debt. And you might think that's not fair. Your your not-fair meter is going off the charts right now. How could it be fair that I'd be in debt and not even know it or, or know how much and we're going to look into that. Now, don't worry. I'm not hacking into your bank account info or credit info. Some of you are like, wow, this guy's good. It's not anything like that. Okay, I don't work for the NSA. None of that is happening. I am talking about some different kinds of debt this morning. Let me show you, first of all, um, our National Debt Clock. Okay? Um, this is a website that you can go to. National uh, Debt Clock is what it's conveniently named. Um, and you can sit there and be mesmerized by how much you owe if you are a citizen of this fine country. Now, what you can see is $20 uh, trillion dollars is a really, really, really big number. Um, right there in sort of the next one down right there is, is the, the per citizen is $63,000. So that's every single uh, man, woman, and child. If you pay taxes, uh, you move one to the right, you're in debt $171,000, okay? Now, just let those numbers trickle over your brain for a second and watch that. Uh, each and every second, you are more and more in debt if you are a citizen of this fine country. Now, $20 trillion is a lot of money. Let me show you what that looks like. Uh, $20 trillion is a lot of money. Here is a $100 bill, and here's what $10,000 looks like stacked up next to each other, okay? Now, sticking with $100 bills, let's continue. Here is what $1 million looks like, um, here is what $100 million looks like. That's Becky on our couch at home. We just, we just make it out of hundreds. Um, she dyed her hair for this picture. Um, here, here is what $1 billion looks like. That's me standing next to her. I dyed my hair for that one. Um, here is, here is $1, trillion. $1 trillion. okay? At the far end, that is a 747 parked on a football field, okay? Those are $100 bills. Now, what does is, what is $20 trillion look like? Uh, in the middle is the Statue of Liberty, okay? So that's the number, $20 trillion, to kind of get our heads around it, because otherwise we just lose sight of what that is. That is a really, really big number. Look at me for a second. This isn't your most serious problem. This isn't your biggest debt that you have to worry about. Okay? If you're filling in blanks, write in the national debt. That's one kind of debt. Here's the second one. You are indebted morally. You are indebted morally. How are you morally in debt? Well, every mistake that you make and every good deed that you knew was a good deed that you could have done but you left it undone costs someone something. So every wrong thing that you do, every good thing that you don't do, costs someone something. Here's why. Sin always costs. Sin always costs. It robs the rights of other people. It robs joy. It robs innocence. It robs money. It robs stuff. Sin always costs. I want you to imagine for a second that I have a phone, and I take my phone, and I let Melinda borrow it. I go and hand it to Melinda, and she takes my phone, and she makes a phone call. The phone call is deeply upsetting. She finds out that she is $20 trillion in debt. She gets so mad, she takes my phone, and she slams it to the ground. That act of anger costs her as she buys me a new phone. You'd buy me a new phone if you did that, wouldn't you? She would. See, that's why I handed it to Melinda. I knew she would. (laughs) I actually handed it to Melinda for a second reason. I don't think she'd ever do this. I don't think she has a rage problem, so that's why I let her borrow my phone. Now, I could forgive her that and say, no, 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 no. You don't need to pay for it. I'm going to forgive you of it. Then it costs me. I incur the cost of her angry outburst. Do you see that the cost doesn't go away? Forgiveness doesn't make it poof, magically disappear. It's still there. It's just that she has incurred the cost or the cost has resulted in my life. So sin always costs. Forgiveness releases payment owed, but it doesn't erase the cost. When you sin, you sin against individuals, you sin against society, you could sin against your company, like corporations, you could be a spy and sin against your government, but all of that sin fundamentally is first and foremost a sin against God. You are always sinning against God and then subcategory against some other individual, against some law that your country made up, against your corporation, So sin is always first and foremost against God. Now, we talk in terms of this debt and owing. Think about people who are sitting in prison right now. We might say that they are repaying their debt to society. You see that? They owe society something. Why? Because they broke a rule. They violated something. It always costs, and they're going to pay the debt. They're going to do the time for the crime. Get that national debt clock in your brain for a second. Imagine this. Imagine what a national sin clock would look like for our country. I had this up on a separate screen this week. I was just sort of had it rolling, the national debt as I was going, and just sort of just a ton of moving numbers. And my brain just thought, man, as depressing as that can be to look at our national debt and watch it climb every second of the day, what would a national sin debt clock look like? How about just a personal one? Pretty sobering. How could we ever hope to pay it back? How could we ever hope to reverse it and start working it backwards? The good news that Jesus proclaims has every single thing to do with this idea. The really simple truth is you can't. So, when I say that you're morally in debt, I'm telling you what you already know, and that is that you are hopelessly in debt. And even as you were trying to try to work off previous sin, you would incur more sin as you tried to do that. We're all buried alive in sin debt. Now that's the bad news. Here's the really, really good news. Jesus can and does pay off our debt. Jesus can and does pay off our debt. That's the Christian message, isn't it? It's not just past debt so that you get a fresh start. Wouldn't that be so amazing if we just got a fresh start of our sin? But you know what would happen, don't you? That sin debt clock would start start clocking again. So when Jesus pays our debt, it's not just all the past, but it's all of our sins we will commit today. Everything good that you leave undone today, Jesus paid for that. Here's the even better news. For every tomorrow, he pays that debt as well. Past, present and future. Romans has already put the glory of this truth on brilliant display. Sin had left a crimson stain. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. You know what you're getting paid for your sin debt? Your retirement, you're building up a greater and greater retirement called death. You know what you get as a Christmas bonus from sin? Sorrow and regret. That's all you ever get. That's your retirement plan. That's what it is to be under sin. Here's the beautiful second part of this. He washed it white as snow. If all you ever hear is, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, keep reading. Here's the very next part. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And verse 623 says, but the free gift of God is, is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you see the power of these two passages put next to each other? Sin always costs. It's a free gift to us, but it's infinitely costly to God. That's why we don't teach or walk in cheap grace, slinging it around like, yeah, I guess I'll take some of that. We realize it's a precious gift that costs someone, somewhere, a lot of something, and that's God. Let me invite the band to come up, and I want us to sing a song that's very familiar to us, and as we do, I want you to have this passage up in your head. When we sing, Jesus paid it all, that's a past event. All to him I owe is a present reality. It's a future reality. It's how we walk moving forward. Do we owe it so we can pay back the sin debt? Nonsense. Never. We owe it joyfully. Look at this passage out of Isaiah 53. And look that it was him, he, Jesus, being prophesied about, and then all of the our and we that benefit from this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and is one from whom men hide their faces He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement or punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Let's sing this together. So, friends, in Christ, we are joyfully out of debt. Romans chapter 8 says this. It says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son, the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I really wanted to start and land heavy on the fact that our debt has been paid and we're out of debt. Because following Jesus, catch this, leads us right back into debt. It leads us right back into another kind of debt. And I'm going to explain that from our text this morning. We talked about national debt. We talked about moral debt. Here's the third kind it's the love debt. If you're taking notes, write in the love debt, because that's the most important one that we're going to look at right now. The love debt from Romans 13 8 says this It says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Do you ever think that love is an unpaid debt? That's what Paul's telling us here. Love is an unpaid debt and love fulfills the law. Let's keep reading in our passage, verse 9. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. We try to live and preach simply around here. And the idea behind simple isn't simplistic, We don't want to take complex things and boil them down and not talk about the complexities of life, but simple means it's accessible. Jesus had this incredible way of giving us portable kinds of truth, truth that we could take with us wherever we go into whatever situation that we can be in and then have that with us at all times. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, that fits, that fits portable truth. Jesus' method worked because here's Paul, who lived out this idea, now is teaching it to the Roman church. It's hard to memorize the whole Bible, isn't it? Anyone accomplished that yet? It's hard to memorize the whole book of the Bible. But how hard is it to remember love your neighbor as yourself? You know why Jesus got so furious and upset with religious leaders? Here's why. They took something simple that was accessible even to children, and they made it complicated. They took the rules and commands, and they had this way of ranking and prioritizing and and dissecting and adding to it and, and setting up a whole complicated system. I want you to imagine for a second that you read a blog and it says that there's a massive famine going on in Somalia. And so you're, you're a person of somewhat means and you sell your business and you sell your home and you tell your family, look, we've got to do something. Not on our watch are people going to starve when we're eating really well. So you sell everything that you have. You bring the aid to people who are starving to death and starving for lack of clean water in Somalia. And as you take all of this resource that you've invested and it's cost you your life and you bring it to them, you bring it to the leaders of the country. These are government leaders. You've read Romans 13, 1 to 7. You know how government leaders are supposed to act. They're to be servant leaders. They've been given that power as a position to serve people. And much to your shock and much to your horror, when you bring that food and you bring that water and you bring all that resource, they, the leaders, take their fill first. After that, instead of giving the leftovers, which there would still be plenty of leftovers, they create complicated forms and complex procedures for people to access it. Meanwhile, the people starve and die of thirst. That should make you furious. Jesus has the life-giving message of the gospel. He is bringing it to the masses. The leaders, the ones who were given power by him in the first place, are complicating it and making it inaccessible. If you want to get to the heart and understanding why Jesus said such harsh things and why the Gospels record him overturning money changers' tables, this is at the heart of it. Jesus lowers the bar of those who can be a part of the kingdom of God. There's no theological test that you have to pass. There's no track record of good. There's no wealth that you pay into. There's no sense of, well, you you say you believe, but then let's have a a probation period because I'm not sure if you really mean it. Words are easy to say. Jesus lowers the bar, and he gives one simple command. Believe the one whom the Father sent. That's me. That's it, and you're in. And after that, moving forward, he gives one simple rule. And this sums up everything else you'll learn in your Christian life in the decades to come, however long God will give you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that simple? What is God's will for my life? It's to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, anything else? Yeah, go love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Friends, I don't care what your age is, you can bring this with you wherever you go. This goes with you always and forever. Now, Here's how Jesus raises the bar of what it means to be a disciple of his. When he says, love your neighbor, and if he were to stop, it could have been easier, but he says this, as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the as yourself part, hear me, that devastates all of us. That is a devastating two extra words that he includes in that. Love your neighbor as yourself. So you might be wondering, Neighborhood Bible Church, who is my neighbor? Right? Who's my neighbor then? That's a really, really good question. I've got a better question for you. The better question, right, coined by Fred, he got it from Jesus, is this, won't you be my neighbor? The question, who is my neighbor, is there, but the far better one is, won't you be my neighbor? Go back and read carefully the story of the Good Samaritan. This is exactly what Jesus was getting at. Right? The leader said, "Well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Love my neighbor as myself. Come on, who's my neighbor? Looking to justify himself. How far do I have to take this? Jesus flips the whole thing around, and he commends the one who was being neighborly. You know, as Christians, we are students of Jesus Christ. We learn directly from him. Let me give you a quick little quiz. You can tell me what you think. Which of the following best indicates that a student has learned the parable of the Good Samaritan? Choice one, the student memorizes and recites the entire parable word for word. (laughs) Option B, the student tells the parable in his own words. Option C, the student explains an example of someone being a Good Samaritan. Or option D, the student decides to sit and have lunch with an outcast who is rumored to be a bully. D is the correct answer, who said, whoever said that. That's what I think their correct answer is. Learn from Jesus how to love, and catch this you'll never stop having neighbors. You won't reach a limit of those to whom you can be neighborly. Am I right? So how is it that I can live like this? How can I pay my debt of love? I'm glad that you asked. First, I want to just talk very briefly about a huge barrier to paying our debt of love, and that is this. We don't think that people deserve it. I'm going I'm to pay my hard-earned life and love someone. Let me see if they deserve it first. I can't be the only one who thinks this way. You know, as we go through life, people wrong us. And remember, sin always costs. There's always loss when sin happens. I want to show you a verse that's a profound truth that we've already covered here in Romans, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. If you are a Christian, you have received and you experience grace. And having received and experienced grace, not studied it, not recited it, not talked about it in your own terms, not studied it, you've experienced it. And this makes all the difference in the world. It gives us this power to stop thinking about what's been done to us and start thinking about what's been done for us. And this mindset makes all the difference in paying a debt of love, in being subject to one another, whether we think the person deserves it or not. Let me give you two handles to grab onto this morning. Number one is this the first kind of debt of love that we have, the first thing we are to share is the gospel. Let me say it plainly. Those who are out of debt are indebted to those who are in debt to show them the way free. That's what it means to be a witness for Christ. Let me give you another visual as to just how big your debt of love is if you are a Christian serving Jesus in the greater Bay Area, okay? Here it is. Just under 8 million people live in the Bay Area. Now, once again, that's sort of a hard number to get around. Let's say that at best, 5% of those 8 million really know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. If you were to take all the rest of the people and you were to line them up shoulder to shoulder and you were to form a line that started at the Golden Gate Bridge, not far from us, and you were to just march them across the country, they would go all the way to the Statue of Liberty, shoulder to shoulder. And then once they got to the Statue of Liberty, they'd take a quick potty break because that's how road trips are. That line would keep on going out into the Atlantic Ocean. So I want you to pause for one second. I want you to imagine getting into your car at the Golden Gate Bridge. And I want you to imagine that you start driving. And let's say you're driving the speed limit. It would take you 48 hours as you drove from here to the Statue of Liberty and beyond. And during your drive, you would see every hour 151,224 different people. Hour after hour after hour after hour. Now, friends, imagine this. Imagine the horror that you would experience day and night for two solid days, 48 hours of seeing that, realizing this is a line to hell. This is a line of people who have an expiration date on their days on this planet, and if you die apart from Christ, you are apart from God. And whatever hell you've experienced here is nothing like living in a Christless eternity. That is the sobering truth that we hold as Christians. Those who are out of debt who've experienced and tasted and seen the forgiveness of God are indebted to those who are still in debt. Now, you might hear that and say, that sounds impossible to save them all. That's because it is. It's impossible for you to save even one. That's God's job, right? Of course. What's our job? Our job is to share the good news, number one, and decorate it with good works. We just give the message. We share the message, and we adorn it. We decorate it with our love for one another. We decorate it with the things God's called us to do to love one another as we've been loved. Listen to John 13. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. Listen to this. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Your debt of love is adorning the gospel. You speak your message and then the sign given that shows it's really from God is your love one to another. Church, it starts with us. Here's the second thing. You share yourself. That's a really broad topic on purpose. How about this? Don't just seek the same things for your neighbor, but seek the same things for your neighbor in the same way or to the same degree as you seek them for yourself. How's that for a standard? So that's devastating. That's loving as ourself. So let me put it this way. Some of you are really energetic in pursuing your own happiness. You're just bubbling with energy for your own happiness. What if you took that same energy and pursued the happiness of your neighbor? Some of you are really industrious at pursuing your own happiness and the happiness of your family? What if you were that industrious to pursue the happiness of your neighbor? Some of you are creative. Take that creative and put it into your neighbor. Some of you are very persevering and unending in your discipline to provide happiness for yourself and your family. What if you were that same way? You know, family ministry at this church is an opportunity to live this practice by putting it into practice every week. Family ministry is the idea that this, that in the same way that I would love and care for my children, it matters immensely that my kids get get this teaching and see it modeled and experience love and experience grace. So when they hear that word, it's not detached, they go, man, that was just like my second grade teacher at Sunday school. And family ministry says this, that it's better to give than to receive. If I take great joy in doing this for my own kids, God's hardwired that in. There's even more joy in giving this away and sacrificially pouring into the lives of other children here at this church. Whether you know it or not, many of you know it because you participate in it. You are giving yourself, you are seeking the happiness of your fellow church members and visitors to this church when you show up early, when you go to bed early on Saturday night so you're not a grumpy Sunday school teacher, that's bad. And when you come and you joyfully come and say, Gosh, this is, this is the best morning. I get to pour into other people's kids, not just my own kids. I can see some of you weary moms and dads are like, give me a break. I can barely make it to Tuesday every week. What are you talking about? One of our roles as shepherds is to train up disciples. That's really the role. I can't think of a better way to steer you to prayer and Bible study and reaccessing the needs that you have from God than by giving you these kinds of hard examples to to go and live out. Jesus calls us to give our lives away for others. Now, I made an incredible list. It's super creative. It's amazing. I made a a week-long list of ways to to sort of live in love, and I'm not going to give it to you. And I'm not going to give it to you because of this. You guys all have incredible, great ideas as well. And I think, frankly, if I gave you my list, it would be harder for you to sort of grab hold. I sit in here and I think of your face. And I go, what would speak to different kinds of people and different faces that are sitting in here? It doesn't matter what my list is. What matters is what you're going to actually go and do. So here's what i want to do. I want to give you some portable truth. Instead of my list, which you'll forget soon, depressing reality for preachers, Instead of my list where you could jot down some things, maybe refer to it back. I'm going to give you portable truth. I'm going to give you something that you can take with you wherever you go, okay? Now, here's an encouragement to you. This is, this is true if you're young in the faith. This is true if you're old in the faith. It's true if you're a procrastinator. It's true if you're punctual. Here it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 says this. It says, Now concerning brotherly love... You have no need for anyone to write you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. How awesome is that? I don't go with you everywhere. You don't really want me to go with you everywhere. I don't want to go with you everywhere. You don't care what I have to say on any given situation. You've been taught by Christ to love one another. Friends, this is a massive portable encouragement. Bring with you wherever you go. He goes on to say this in verse 10. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. You're already doing it. I could give you tons of examples of incredible things that I I just marvel at as your pastor. You're such an encouraging church to lead. We're not even close to done. Do so more and more. You know, when we come together... We can do things together that are impossible to do alone. And we don't have a ton of program, but we have two really clear examples uh, that are opportunities for us sort of right in front of us. I was looking at some old pictures. This is a picture from 2007, right in the back of the sanctuary. The kids in our church said, uh, not who is my neighbor, but how can I be neighborly? And they confronted a situation that you've all faced. You're sitting at a stoplight, and someone is coming to you with a sign that says, I need help, and you don't know what to do. You don't want to just look the other way and roll up the window and turn up the music and start a conversation. That doesn't feel very Christ like. But what do you do? Roll down the window and say, Jesus loves you? If you hand them some money, what do they do with the money? You don't know what they do with the money. But what if you rolled down your window and you welcomed those opportunities, and in your car were these bags that had a little snack in it? It had some fresh socks in it, and it had some some Purell hand sanitizer, and it had a whole bunch of other little stuff. And then it had like little handwritten notes from cute kids. And we thought that was a spectacular idea, so we just set up a thing in the back. Everyone brought stuff. We, we had those bags in our vans, and we were just, man, we were handing those things out. It was so great. It changed the equation of who we could be neighborly to. We stopped avoiding those confrontations. That's just meeting a simple physical need. Kids, listen to me. It's your guys' turn. 2007, those kids are old now. <laughs> we got some new kids. Kids are amazing at love. Figure it out. Teach the adults. Challenge the adults. Let's get this thing going. You don't have a car? They do. Talk to them. We have this organization here called Love, Inc., and many of you are involved in meeting physical needs through Love, Inc. Love, Inc. stands for love in the name of Christ. I love that we have the county director that attends our church. He's not here today because he's at another church talking about Love, Inc. (laughs) Here's Love, Inc.'s really, really simple model. What they do is they take... They focus on meeting physical needs as a bridge to meeting bigger needs. So here's a typical model of what happens when resources are unconnected. Then the needs go unknown and unmet, and you have people running around in circles and bumping into each other. Now watch the center of that graphic. Those are different churches and organizations trying to help people. Here's Loving's model. Loving says we'll be in the middle... We'll figure out what the needs are. People can come to us. We'll vet the need. We'll make sure it's a a legitimate need, and then we'll just pair it up with your church so you can go meet legitimate needs. For the entire life of this church, we've been involved with Love, Inc. You know what it does? It expands your neighbor quotient. Who can I be neighborly to? I've already been neighborly to all my neighbors here. God, make my plate bigger. Love, Inc. provides that. Um, Lavette is our... Coordinator is Levette with it? She is there. She is in the back. Everyone, look at Levette and give her a hand. Here's what Levette is. I want to make it really, really clear. Levette's going to be in the back after service. She's graciously agreed to be at, at our services, and she's going to be in the back. You can go talk to her. You can put your name down or whatnot. But here's what Levette is. Lavette is your spiritual personal trainer. You are telling Levette, Levette, I want to do this in obedience to God's word. I want to expand my neighborly quotient. I want to be called. We make it really clear to this position. You are the person at the desk at a hotel. Don't feel, ever feel bad about wake, waking someone up at five in the morning and calling them. Why? Because they asked you to. As a personal trainer, you don't ever feel bad to coming and saying, hey, there's a need. Hey, here's something. So she's gonna be calling you. You will have asked for her to call you. Hear me, you can say no. You're not supposed to meet every need. You care about a lot of needs. You can handle some needs. Love, Inc. is an incredible way to meet the physical needs of people right here in our neighborhood. By the way, if you know how to do yard work, right now there are needs waiting in Lavette's brain. There's three needs waiting. So go and talk to her. That's one really clear thing. Ever, ever see the movie WALL-E? Yeah. What's WALL-E programmed to do? Clean up. Yeah. He's, clean, he, he's programmed to serve and clean up. Look around at your neighbor's. No one here, even if they're named Wally, no one here is programmed to do that. We are programmed, our flesh is programmed to do exactly the opposite. Have someone else serve us and have someone else clean up our messes. And the mom said, amen. What did Jesus come to do? He came to serve. Took on the towel, became a servant. All right, let me give you one last Way to put this into practice. Coming up in April, uh, it's a Friday, Saturday. Uh, we are going to serve the many people in our church and the many people in our city who are joyfully putting themselves in debt to children in our county and around the world. And they're not just being neighborly to them; they are welcoming them in. They're they're welcoming them in and making them family. And what this church is going to do is we are going to once again host a live simulcast of a conference taking place. I think it's in the state that Whataburger's from, to be totally honest. And we're going to serve them by opening our doors. And already, um, Kelly Barrow is in the back. Raise your hand, Kelly. Kelly is going to be the one that you want to talk to. This is going to take a small army of people to come and serve, and here's why. We are requesting all of our family ministry servants, people who serve with kids here, to come and for the sake of those many children who would benefit extra for this, although if you're a parent, you would benefit, we're saying, would you come and invest time to learn better how to serve these kids? Let me have you watch this. Uh, It's two minutes long to kind of give you a little sense of what this conference is about. The, The child and the adult begin to experience regulation together. If you grew up in a house, where your parents said, uh, I'll show you respect when you earn it. I did. And that's wrong. You have to model it so the kids know how to do it. Being surrounded by other moms and dads who are just walking the same journey that we are. And as speakers are saying things, You see people just nodding their heads and say in in agreement, and you realize that I'm not in this by myself. Um, And also just walking away with some tools that I can start practically implementing just the minute I get home. We've seen families that have been on the verge of dissolving adoptions, come back from that, and, and really maintain those families and preserve those kids in their families. It just gives a real insight into who our kids are, and at the same time, we get a real insight into who we are. When the joy and the laughter and fun returns to your life, that's when you know it's working. You see growth, you see development, and, and, and ultimately you see healing, and you see a uh, just a journey of, of, of love and connection. I was able to take what was a barrier for us, and it became a bond. And now, you know what, she asks for me to tuck her in at night. It transforms families, it it turns families around, it heads them in the right direction. We've seen so much healing in our family and so much healing with families that we work with that I think that those two days are probably the best investment that families could make the whole of the year. Just to give you an idea, um, we are opening this up. We've already opened it up to the the Help One Child Network. We're we're partnering with them on this, and with Foster the Bay um, Network as well. So we're already seeing just uh, re- uh, people flood in with with requests and whatnot. We're providing two days of childcare for this to make it so that people can come and be a part of this. So. Uh, See Kelly in the back if you want to participate in that. Uh, Just before we get to what does God do and what do we do, let me just say this. Listen to how vital it is to welcome one another and subject ourselves to one another, even here on a Sunday morning, uh, and note sort of this debt of love language. This is from Philemon, verse 17. It says this, Paul writing, "'So if you consider me your partner,' Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Do you hear the, the debt language? This is Onesimus. He's a specific individual. He was a former slave. Hey, if he owes you anything, you charge it to my account. Then listen what he says. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I love this next line. To say nothing of your owing me your own self. he flips it on him, right? He says, by the way, you're indebted to me. I'm the one, God used me to get you out of debt in the first place. Let me invite the band to come on up. If you're taking notes, complete it by writing these three things down. What does God do? He gets us out of debt. He pays us the debt that we could never pay. He gets us out free of charge to us, infinite cost to him. Secondly, he puts us in debt. We have the ongoing debt of love. We're to be subject to one another. We're to be constant in doing good, seeking out opportunities. And finally, he enables us to love. We don't do this in the flesh. We burn out very quickly and turn to resentment if we do this in the flesh. What do we do? What's the Lord's Prayer say? We forgive our debt as we have been forgiven. That's a daily prayer. God, today, help me focus not on what's been done to me, but on what's been done for me. Uh, that'll change your day. That'll change your Monday, I promise you. Secondly, we seek out loving obedience and obedient love. I'm not going to get into this because we're out of time, but I want you to consider how love is not a free-for-all. Love's been given to us in parameters. Old Testament, New Testament, modeled by Jesus Christ. We walk in that obediently we're going to sing reckless love right now and at the bridge i want you to sing the bridge but i also want you to consider how god has pursued you and stopped at nothing to pursue you with love and what it would look like to take that same energy creativity perseverance infused by god's power to pursue other people in love let's sing